The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Being Bumo, a podcast for the modern parent that wants to be the best version of themselves while being the best parents they can be for their kids. We'll be spotlighting parents and experts who are not only inspiring, but also willing to share with us how it really is. Because as we all know, parenting can be equally as rewarding as it is challenging. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. Hi, Boomers. Welcome back to another episode of Being Boomo. On this episode, I am joined by Dr. Pooja Lakshmin, a board-certified psychiatrist and writer specializing in women's mental health and perinatal psychiatry, also a contributor to the New York Times parenting section. She maintains a private practice in Washington, D.C., where she is active in maternal mental health advocacy work and community building, and applies an integrative approach to taking care of women suffering from maternal mental health conditions. Dr. Lakshmin is most passionate about empowering women and sees her clinical work as a perinatal psychiatrist as an extension of this mission. On today's episode, we discuss the mental crisis parents are facing during this pandemic. We talk about the increase in anxiety and depression during these times for parents and expecting parents. We also discuss something called martyr mode that a lot of parents, especially mothers, go through. She shares with us tangible tips and things parents can do during this time of crisis. I felt incredibly inspired by our conversation and hope you will too. Hi, Pooja. Hi, It's so Christelle. nice to meet you. But, uh, kind of in real life, but not really in real life. <laughs> in our new reality, yes. <laughs> in our new reality. Well, I'm so glad that we're here chatting. I've been an avid follower of yours ever since discovering you through the New York Times. And I just love all the pieces that you have written for them. And I've personally been able to relate so much to the pieces that you wrote about parenting. So we're going to dive right into that. (laughs) Um, But before we do so, I always like to start off with like a little icebreaker just so we could, you know, jump right in and get comfortable with each other. So Obviously, we're, this is our new norm at this point. What is one thing that you miss the most pre-pandemic? You know, I was thinking about this the other day. The thing that I miss the most is my morning Starbucks. Like going to Starbucks in the morning, right when I leave the house, getting my coffee, saying hi to the barista. Like it's such a small thing, but I feel like those little routines, the fact that we don't have them anymore is such a loss. And it's not something that you would think of, you know, where you would be like, oh, that's the thing that I miss the most, but it's actually so grounding in the way that we used to be able to start our day like that. And and now we're just left to our our own devices and like make coffee at home, which (laughs) never (laughs) tastes as good. (laughs) We save a lot more money on coffee now. That's for sure. That is true. We do save a lot of money, but I don't think there's as much caffeine in it. I don't know. It doesn't work as well. (laughs) I agree with you 100%. I'm like, I drink my at-home coffee, like espresso maker. And I'm like, I don't think this is working. (laughs) What is your go-to? Starbucks order? So I actually am a huge fan of the uh, chai lattes with soy milk. <gasps> that was actually my order pre-pandemic as well. Pre-pandemic, but now, yeah. now it's just like black coffee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, we're going to dive right into it. I love following you and 
like the mission that you stand for, which is really empowering women through evidence-based education. Um, you focus a lot on the well-being of women, and that really spoke to me. Can you let us know a little bit about your journey and how you ended up here doing what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, it's been a long path, but um, I'm actually South Asian. So my parents are from India. And um, if you know anything about Asian culture, you will know that it is pretty patriarchal, you could say, yeah. <laughs> um, and pretty conservative. And, you know, when I went to medical school, I thought that I was going to be an OBGYN, but I hated being in the OR. And I really just wanted more time to talk to my patients. When I was an undergrad, I had majored in women's studies at the University of Pennsylvania and the biological basis of behavior. And I found psychiatry at the very end of my third year of medical school. And I was just like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to be actually talking to women about what's really important to them. The stuff that you feel like you can't talk to your friends about, the stuff that you're kind of ashamed to talk about. To me, I felt like that was where I could make the most difference. And, and I've had my own experiences with depression and anxiety. And I think that going through that myself helps make me a better psychiatrist, actually. And so now, as a perinatal psychiatrist, I work with women who are pregnant and postpartum. Um, I specialize in women's mental health, and I get to write for the New York Times and do all kinds of different advocacy work. And so I'm, I'm really passionate about being able to meet women where they're at. And, and that's why I've gotten involved with social media too. That's incredible. So how long have you been, have you been kind of doing it ever since uh, college, since your studies? Yeah. So after undergrad, I went to medical school for four years and then I did four years of residency training and um, I joined the faculty at GW in 2016. So now it's been about four years that I've been in practice on my own. And I, I joined at Instagram about a year and a half ago or so. And it's just, it's such a great place actually to be able to share information and have it just be so accessible. And I love it. It's led to so many things. And I have a new company that I just recently launched called Gemma Women, where I'm going to be doing more education and digital courses and things like that, specifically for women's mental health. So, you know, I just think that it's so easy for women to suffer alone and to suffer in silence. And for that reason, I think we just need more and more mental health providers out there speaking out, talking about how to actually recognize if you need help and providing advice too. I love that. I mean, let's talk about the pandemic and what it's done specifically for women and specifically for parents mentally, um, especially mothers. I'm sure you've looked into this as I've seen some of the articles that you've written. What do you think the pandemic has really done for parents, you would say, during these times? Yeah, I think that this pandemic has really been, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think it's been a disaster <laughs> for parents. <laughs> it has made things really, really tough and, and an already difficult situation, I think, here in the States where a lot of families don't have good access to childcare, right? We don't get paid parental leave. So there's already so many structural forces that were against families. But now with the pandemic, we've just seen how families and parents are just having to go at this alone. And I think over the past few weeks, the conversation really has been around school, right? Yeah. Because school is something that is on everyone's mind. And, um, and I wrote that piece for the Times and the response has just been so um, overwhelming from it because I think people are really, really struggling, not only with the decisions, but all the feelings that come yeah. with the decisions, no matter what decision you make, whether you're deciding to send your kid in person, if you have that option, or whether you're doing blended learning or doing full homeschooling, 
you know, this isn't what we had envisioned for the fall of 2020. So parents are kind of being forced to just make it up as they go, really. Yeah. And that's so right, because at this point, I I always tell people that there is no one right answer at this point. And you have to do what's best for your family. You know, there are parents that need to physically go to work. So they have no other option but sending their kid back to school physically. And then vice versa, there are parents that are at home. So they feel guilty if they do decide to send their kids physically back to school, but the parents still need to work at home. So I always tell parents and even my personal friends that you don't have to worry about what other people are doing, especially your peers, because you have to do what's best for your family and for yourself really at the end of the day. Um, And there's no right answer. And that's the, that's the hardest part, I think. That's really, that's the most difficult part. There's no right answer. And there's also no one externally that can tell you this is exactly what you should do. I think in these types of situations, what I'm really recommending for my patients is one, really know what your values are, right? Because whenever you're in a transition or whenever you're in a period of uncertainty, you have to look inside yourself and think about what is the most important thing to my family. You know, for some families you know, you might have someone in your family that has health issues, right? So you have to be more conservative. And so in that case, sometimes keeping kids at home is going to be what makes the most sense. And from that standpoint, you have to really prioritize health. For other families, perhaps you have a kid that has special needs or, you know, the social aspect of school is something that really, really is important for your family. And so you might make a decision to send your kid, you know, depending on the situation and where you live it's going to be different for every family. And so you can't compare yourself to others. One of the things I'm seeing a lot is judging, uh, like mom, Mm. (laughs) judgy bombs, mom shaming. (laughs) I mean, we see that all the time, but it definitely seems to be coming out in the pandemic where differences are coming out. And to that, I would say, if you're dealing with a mom friend who's being really judgy, I would say, this is more about them than it is about you. The person out there that's really being judgmental or criticizing on social media or wherever, usually it means that they're struggling. And and what they actually need is your compassion because something's going on for them. This is about them. This isn't about you. Yeah, absolutely. Now that parents have to balance work and also parenting and homeschooling the kids, if they do choose to uh, homeschool their kids at home or do um, distance learning, With these added stressors and responsibilities for parents now, have you seen an increase in rate of depression and anxiety just in general with with parents? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely in my patient population with moms, I'm seeing a huge uptick in anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms, burnout as well. And the research is bearing that out too. We're seeing rates of postpartum depression almost tripled. There's been Mm. studies looking at even moms that have kids up to age eight years old, increased Mm. rates of depression and anxiety. And and that's just not, that's not just for moms, that's for parents in general. So this, this, I think this is really, this is a mental health crisis for parents because there's nowhere to turn. There's no off time when your kids are home with you all the time. Would you say some parents are depressed and anxious without even knowing it sometimes? Absolutely. 100%. And so when we think about depression and anxiety, there's sort of two categories. There's one category that looks like, you know, I can't get out of bed. I can't do all the things that I need to do. I'm having trouble focusing or concentrating at work. 
where your functioning is really impacted. But then I have patients who have what's called high functioning depression or high functioning anxiety, where you might be really suffering a lot on the inside. You might feel hopeless. You might feel like life is meaningless, but you're still getting up every morning. You're still going to work. You're still getting the kids ready. You're still cooking dinner. And you know, if you talk to a lot of moms, they'll say, I feel horrible, but I'm still doing everything that I need to do. And, and that can also be a sign of depression or anxiety. Um, I and feel it like that's... To treatment. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and that responds to treatment too. So counseling or psychotherapy or even medication can be helpful. But a lot of times people don't even recognize that they're suffering because they're still doing everything they need to do. Yeah. And I think that there are probably a lot of cases of that just because parents, once you become a parent, as you know, you your kids are dependent on you. So even if you're depressed or stressed or anxious, you still have to do what you got to do unless you're like, you don't care about your family and they're just going to suffer, right? So naturally for you, you're like, I still got to get like move this train. And so it doesn't allow parents and moms specifically to sit there and like really hear themselves and just understand what their needs are at this point. So I feel like a lot of moms, maybe even including myself, are actually more anxious and depressed without even knowing it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, and it comes out in different ways. So if it, it, you might find that it comes out in when you do have alone time or you do have that five minutes of maybe a little bit of peace that you start to notice those bad feelings coming in or maybe hopelessness or maybe it comes out in like irritability where you're mm. fighting, you know, you're, you have a temper that's easily triggered with your kids. You find that you don't have patience with them anymore, or you don't enjoy the activities that you used to with them. Instead, you feel like you're just kind of managing them all the time, but you're not actually with them. And some of that absolutely is just a product of the high stress environment that parents are in right now, but you should still be able to find some moments of joy or you should Mm. should still be able to find some periods of hopefulness. If that's completely gone, then that could be a sign that, that you need to seek help. Mm, I see. So what would you say your biggest advice be for parents that are actually going through this, that are emotionally, you know, they are enjoying it, but they are feeling burnt out. What are some immediate things that they could do right now that could help them? Yeah. So there's a couple things that are really important. So the one is to make sure that you are putting your own oxygen mask on and you're working with as a team with your partner. So you and your partner really should be working in conjunction with each other to be giving each other a break, even if it's just for five or 10 minutes a day just going for a walk around the block or, you know, just having that five minutes of alone time, listening to your favorite song, driving around the block, doing something for yourself at least once a day is really important. And I know when I say that, a lot of parents are like, that's impossible. I can't do that. (laughs) You know, there's no way I can even do that, but you can even just take two minutes, right. And do like a quick mindfulness or a quick body scan or something like that, just to be with yourself and to be alone with your thoughts and hear yourself think that's really important. If you find that guilt is really creeping in or whenever you try to set some of those boundaries, then I would suggest different exercises for what's called cognitive diffusion. So that's where you kind of, instead of getting stuck on your thoughts or hooked onto your thoughts and letting like guilt and shame 
or worry drag you down, you're setting some limits with those thoughts. And in my article, I talk a little bit about some exercises that you can use and practice to get distance from the negative thoughts or the anxiety. Another thing that I'm seeing come up a lot is moms who are just constantly in this like what if mentality. Mm. Like, you know, what if my kid gets sick? What if somebody in the class gets COVID? What if school closes down? You know, there's an endless litany of different what if scenarios. And so for that, what I often recommend is setting yourself a designated worry time every day. So giving yourself 20 minutes every day where you're allowed to worry about whatever you want and you don't judge yourself or anything like that. But outside of those 20 minutes, and any, if any of this kind of what if thinking or intrusive anxiety starts to come up, you're not allowed to indulge it. You can just write it down on a piece of paper or on your notes app and you save it for the next day's worry time. So I really like that. I've used that strategy myself because it's one is that it's not like you're telling yourself just stop worrying because obviously that never works, but it's saying like, okay, I don't, I don't have to think about this right now. I can think about this tomorrow. And then a lot of times the next day, like those thoughts that felt so urgent or so stressful, when I come back to them the next day, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't even really feel as stressed about that anymore. So it's kind of a reminder that our feelings don't last forever. And it's almost like you have to practice this, right? Because obviously in theory, it sounds great and that everyone can do it, which they can, but it's almost like building that muscle and allowing your muscles to work for you when you need them to and knowing when to stop working them, right? Exactly. 100%. It's, these are all things that you have to practice, like you said, and they're a lot easier to implement when you're feeling calm. But when you get triggered or you're in one of those moments of feeling overwhelmed, it's a lot harder to access these things. So you need to build the muscle when you're feeling good or when you're feeling relatively calm. So then you can kind of pull that memory back to use in times of stress. The other thing that I would say is looking for, as, as opposed to being so focused on goals, looking more at your values. So like if a goal for you is, you know, you want your kids to play on the school sports team or something, or maybe that's something they're really looking forward to. I have a patient whose whose son runs track and was going to be scouted for colleges this year. But of course now that's not happening, sadly. So we were kind of looking at, well, what, what's underneath that for your son and for your family? Like why are sports so important? It's because we really want him to develop leadership skills. So what are some other ways that we can help him develop leadership skills outside of you know, the track meets or, you know, the specific activity. So kind of looking underneath, like when your goals aren't being met, looking at your why underneath them and seeing if there's other ways that you can help your family and yourself meet those uh, or live by those values. I love that. And yeah, I think that's a really important factor because I think a lot of parents, including myself, think that we're craving for a certain thing that we're so used to doing. But what we're actually really craving for is what is the value right below it, right? Like Mm -hmm. what they're actually getting out of it. Something Mm -hmm. that me and my husband, we've been doing, which we haven't done before, just because we've been married for eight years together for a total of almost like 17 years, is just talking every night. And I know that sounds so lame and so basic. (laughs) But for the past week, we've actually, because for me, I'm the type of person that has a million things that I have to do. If I cannot tend to my to-do list and get every single thing just like marked off my list, I just can't go to sleep at night peacefully. So one, I had to really overcome that, which is 
um, being okay and being at peace with not finishing everything, but also taking that time that I usually actually, once the kids are down, I will usually like try to finish everything. Instead, taking that energy and putting it into conversation, which is, again, so basic, but I'm the type of person that surprisingly with a podcast and a big platform, I don't really <laughs> like to talk to people <laughs> like outside of my work, right? Just because mm-hmm. I think I exhaust myself so much uh, throughout the day talking to other people. And I'm sure you sometimes feel the same way as well, because you're constantly talking to people. So you just want to be mm-hmm. alone, but it's healthy to talk to other people. And that's what I've learned with my partner is that just almost like not even it's almost like riffing, riffing your thoughts and just like whatever comes to mind, just like spit it out. It could be the stupidest, littlest thing out there, but it has some sort of effect. At least it has done for me. And it also Mm -hmm. allowed me to practice to just talk to talk and just to reconnect with my partner. And that's helped out a lot during this time of quarantine and isolation, because I think we're all so used to just being alone. So yeah, I think communication and writing things down, like you said, is so, so important. I love that. I mean, I really love that example, Chriselle, because I think a lot of times when it comes to relationships, when there's a disconnect, one of the fears that we have is that it needs to be some type of big dramatic solution. Like it needs to be like some big date night or, you know, like something really dramatic. But in fact, it really doesn't. It actually, even just taking 20 minutes every day to sit down with your partner in the same room next to each other and talk makes a huge difference, especially when you have small kids and busy jobs and life is just so chaotic and busy. Something as small as that, that becomes a habit is so powerful. Yeah. And this was not planned. I like to talk about relationships at all, but can we touch a little bit upon that of what the pandemic has done and this whole isolation period has done for relationships and couples and parents and how they could become stronger through this? Yeah, well, I think it really has, because the level of household demands and parenting demands have increased so much and families no longer have really any outside support with all of that. So, I mean, the data is showing that much of that is falling on on women, on mothers, right? To take on that extra load. But both partners are increasingly stressed. And especially if, you know, there's financial issues going on or if there's job loss or just all the different ways that the pandemic has affected families. It's just such a period of high stress and lack of time. So I think it really is turning people inward and having people feel isolated and lonely. And and it's not that folks don't want to connect with each other. I think it's just human nature in times of uncertainty or when you're feeling down to just kind of want to pull inward and and not really share those feelings because it feels uncomfortable to have to be vulnerable and talk about not feeling great. (laughs) Nobody really wants to do that. So as a result of that, I think we have to really force ourselves to put yourself out there and really have those hard conversations with your partner. And that's why I think values are so great when it comes to parenting, because talking about the values that you want to instill in your children in itself is a intimacy building exercise, right? To have that type of conversation with your partner. And, and even as a family too, it could even be a family meeting, right? Depending on, you know, if your kids are a little bit older, 
where we say like, look, we're going to talk about, you know, the fact that this year isn't going how we've all wanted it to, but let's talk about what values do we really want to focus on for the next half of 2020, knowing that the fall isn't going to be the school year that we expected, but what, what values are we going to use to set our intention for our family for the rest of the year? I love that. And, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, parents with older kids and obviously parents with kids, but what has all of this done for parents to be? And I know that's something that you focus on a lot, which is pregnancy and postpartum. Mm -hmm. Has that affected, you know, how people that are expected just like viewing just parenting in general, right? During these times? Yeah. So it's definitely, I work with a lot of pregnant women. And so it's a really, it's a hard time to be pregnant. It's a hard time to decide to try and get pregnant, you know, similar to what we talked about with, with the going back to school decision, right? There's no right answers here. And so everyone's having to make these decisions for themselves. But I think if I would had to choose kind of a theme, it really, it's grief, right? Kind of the grief of not being able to have your partner there with you for all of your prenatal appointments, not being able to have a baby shower, knowing that you're going to be going into a postpartum period without as much family support. And, you know, the, the birth of a new baby is a time that's normally kind of a family milestone for the whole extended family and not getting to have that is such a loss. So I'm kind of, I'm seeing it on both sides. I'm seeing it with new moms who are with their first pregnancy because this is the only experience they've had so far of pregnancy. And then also moms who have like second or third kids where they can compare it to their first and be like, wow, this feels so different. It really Mm. does feel like such a loss. So that's where I think it is important to have a community and to make sure that you're really reaching out to your other mom friends. You know, hopefully you have some other friends that are pregnant or have new babies that you can really, even if it's virtually, be there for each other and, and stay connected during times like these. How about postpartum depression? Because that is so common. And that's something that I personally went through as well with my first child. Didn't expect it because there was lack of information during that time, just even five years ago. So are you seeing an increase in postpartum depression as well? Is that linked? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So definitely seeing an increase in postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. And um, the research is showing that too. Rates are, it looks like tripled actually in comparison to the baseline rates outside of the pandemic. And so it's a combination of the social isolation and then the fear around, you know, getting the virus and what it means if you have COVID. So, so it's all, definitely stressful times. <laughs> so everyone that knows someone that just had a baby or are pregnant should definitely reach out to their friends and just to check in on them. Even though you can't see them, you know, you have to let them know that you're there and you're thinking about them. Right, right. And if they have older kids, like maybe you can volunteer to like, you know, read their toddler's story over Zoom or something. You know, there's ways that I think are delivered groceries or, you know, I think there's creative ways that you can be involved. So definitely if you know somebody or have somebody in your life that's pregnant or postpartum, reach out. Absolutely. You talk a lot about mom guilt and something called martyr mode which you wrote for the New York Times article, which that's actually how I discovered you. I read the article and I was able to relate like 1000%. And can you talk a little bit, and I didn't even know that that's what it was called. (laughs) It's just something that I did without even realizing it. And can you talk a little bit about what it is and why so many women go into this mode? Yeah, so martyr mode is something that I see all the time. From in my patients. And it doesn't mean that you're depressed or anxious. You can have it without having depression or anxiety, but it's basically 
this way of being in the world where you're constantly giving and giving and giving, and you're never taking a break or doing anything for yourself. So you yourself are becoming smaller and smaller and smaller while everyone else around you, your kids, your partner, your family are um, taking up all the space and there's no more space left for you. But, and, and the way that it becomes martyr mode is in particular is because you're angry and you're irritated and you're resentful because you're like, why am I doing everything for everyone else and no one's helping me? But you haven't ever learned to set boundaries. You haven't learned to say no. You haven't learned to ask for help. And, and I don't think, one of the things I talk about in this article is, I don't think that this is our fault as women. I, I'm definitely a victim. I've done this before at different times in my life. This is how girls are raised. You know, We're raised to be nice, to help. We don't learn how to set boundaries and how to say no. Martha Beck, who is a sociologist and a life coach for Oprah, she's uh, written a ton about this and spent her whole career basically studying culture. And she talks all about how it's the culture that has done this to women because on one hand, women are expected to be self-sacrificing, you know, put their families first, do everything for their children. But then the other hand, they're encouraged to become CEOs and be entrepreneurs and doctors and engineers and uh, be ambitious and those are two completely opposite poles. And each time you move too far in one direction, you get criticized. So there's really no way to win. And so what I recommend as the first step to dealing with martyr mode, if you find yourself in this type of pattern is learning how to say no and how to set boundaries. And that's something that I work on and I teach my patients all the time. And, and I think that women really need to understand that that you are the only one that can give yourself permission. Nobody else is going to give you permission to set boundaries. You have to do it for yourself. Yeah, no, I relate 1000%. I think it was sometime last, last year or like a year and a half ago where I was just completely burnt out and I was traveling for work and I was building my company and, um, you know, just trying to make my hap- my family happy. And I just like broke down and I'm like, why, why am I doing this to myself? No one is expecting this of me. Well, maybe they are silently, but I'm the one who, you know, put all these high expectations on myself. So I think one is you have to check yourself first. Um, I think for me, that was like the number one thing, just because I'm the one who set these expectations. And I think a lot of women naturally do that because they're overachievers. They want to do everything. But then two, as you mentioned, set boundaries, have a talk with your partner, have a talk with your kids even. But what would you say for single parents, like parents that don't have a partner? Um, you know, we have a lot of followers and listeners that are also, you know, doing this on their own. Like, how do they set the boundaries there? Because they they kind of have to do it all right, on their own. right. Right. And I think that that's really tough for single parents and parents that um, are doing it by themselves. And that's where I think you really have to get more comfortable with reaching out for help with people who may not be in your exact family unit, but where you do kind of have to reach out to whether it's extended family, if it's like a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or close friends or colleagues. I think this is where women really need to kind of find their tribe. I have a couple patients right now who are having children on their own. And uh, here in DC, there's actually a couple support groups for, for women who do decide to get pregnant on their own. And, you know, it's like the WhatsApp groups and the Zoom groups and things like that, where I think 
having that emotional support of other women who are going through something similar can really do a lot, even though right now, you know, we don't have as much of that logistical support that's there. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, your company? Because I know that you created this kind of out of need, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I recently launched Gemma Women. And so um, I actually, for the past year, even before the pandemic, once I kind of got started on Instagram, you know, I just got so many messages from women asking, you know, like, I didn't know it was okay to take medication during pregnancy. I didn't know that postpartum depression was a thing. And I just realized, and they were, they, they had no idea even though, and I know, Chris, you said five years ago, you still didn't really get much information about it. You know, I think it's a little bit more in the press now, but it's still a lot of women don't even know that this is a complication that can come up when in fact, there's actually so much you can do from a prevention standpoint. So, so I started researching about a year ago, how can I develop sort of digital online educational resources And in May, I launched my first pilot group. And so, so far, uh, 39 women have taken a class all about maternal mental health and how to prevent things like postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And we talk about mom guilt and martyr mode and all of those fun things. And so now I'm looking at um, scaling it and and developing more resources. So definitely, you can follow me at Women's Mental Health Doc and kind of hear more about it there. Um, And it's also... GemmaWomen.com, where you'll see more information. Amazing. It's kind of like that support group that we were just talking about, right? Just because a lot of women, whether you're a single parent or you are just like so busy, you don't have the time and the ability to find the information that you need. It's like all in one place of like women that you can trust. Exactly. And in the same way that you might take a class to learn how to, you know, give birth, or you might take a class about breastfeeding. I think that there should be this type of evidence-based information about mental health during pregnancy and postpartum. So that's, that's what I'm hoping to build. (laughs) During these times, I think it's proven that mental health is so important. I mean, we all knew that, right? Like we all, we always talk about how you have to be mentally stable. You have to have the right mindset. But then I think after, during these pandemic times, that's when we all realize like, oh my gosh, like I really need to get my head straight. Like I really need to work on my mental health. And at least that's something that has been like on top of mind for me. So that's incredible that you built Gemma. It's like the perfect product market fit right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that coming from you. And I love everything that you're doing with BOMO. And, and I know, you know, I think parents just, just need more support. So I think, you know, we're Absolutely. all in this together. <laughs> so we're near towards the end, but I have a few more questions for you before we end this uh, conversation. Do you believe in the word balance? And is there really such a thing as balance? So I really don't like that word (laughs) because I think that it just leads to an unrealistic ideal. You know, it just leads to more of this perfectionism that women already struggle with. I think that we need to cultivate compassion for ourselves If you're a woman who's a parent and who's working, there's going to be periods of time where you, there's going to be weeks where you just really fall on the work side. And then there's going to be other weeks where you really fall on the mom side or the parent side. And I don't think that we should have some type of, or I think it's impossible to have some type of artificial balance in between. I think it's really about looking at like what you just said, like looking at your mindset, like giving yourself compassion, uh, working on this martyr mode stuff, setting boundaries, 
not being critical of yourself. And, and I think that's where like, that's why I don't like balance as a word or as an ideal, because it just tends to engender more of kind of an internal critical voice, like another way that you're not doing it right. I agree. I mean, I've really struggled with this word balance because when I first became a mom and as a business owner, the number one question I got from people was, how do you balance it all? And at first I didn't really know how to answer that. And I would make up some like phony answer like, oh, you know, I have a great support team, which is true, but it was still not truly balanced, right? So I struggled with this word for so long up until I think maybe three years ago when people asked me that question. And I, I just simply say, I don't. <laughs> like I, I don't balance um, just because it's unrealistic. There are going to be times when work is a lot heavier and, you know, you can't have it all at the same time, at least. So I always tell people there are going to be seasons where you're not going to be as attentive to your kids. But knowing that, it's going to come back the pendulum swing is going to go back on the other side. And so just, I don't know if making up that time that was lost during that time is the right word, but almost like maximizing the time that you do have with the kids when the pendulum swing kind of goes back to that side. And then same thing with work. And you just have to get into a groove that you feel comfortable with. And for me, that's an overarching, more realistic, holistic, I guess, view of what a balanced life is. It's when it's unbalanced at times, but it will balance out in like a bigger picture, a long run. So I'm with you on that word, balance. Well, and to me, the way that you just described that sort of fits with values, right? You can live by your values when you're working hard at work too, as well as with your kids. And, And the work that you're doing in your job is still something that impacts your kids. And when they grow up and look at their mom, they're going to think back and, you know, be really proud of how successful you are. And that means something important to them too, right? Yeah. A lot of moms, especially um, that listen to this podcast, a lot of them are working parents. Some of them aren't, um, but a lot of them are. And I think For working moms, the number one guilt is that they are working and they're not physically always there with their kid. Have you ever had any patients that felt that way? And what is your advice to them? Yeah, so absolutely. That is something that comes up all the time with my patients. Like to tell a story, uh, a few years ago, I was co-facilitating a mom group and there was a woman there who was an attorney in DC, you know, high power job, had her infant with her. And she found out from her job that they, that she was allowed to take two extra weeks of leave. But she was like, I don't know what to do because I don't want to, you know, give my team more time and have to make up for more time that I'm away. So I feel guilty. But then if I don't stay home with my daughter, I feel guilty that I'm not spending that time with her. And I was sort of like, well, is there any option in which you wouldn't feel guilty? And she was (laughs) like, no. (laughs) So I think, you know, I say that to point out that I think for women, for working moms, Guilt is just this, it's such an easy emotion to reach for. It is always there. No matter what you choose, you will feel guilty and you will find somebody to criticize you or to judge you. What I I recommend to my patients is you can make decisions that are in line with your values, even if you feel guilty. Guilt doesn't have to be your compass. It's not a good compass because it's always there. It's not reality-based. So you just kind of have to recognize it for ambient noise and move on anyway. And, and it's like the same thing, like we talked about earlier, it's like building a muscle over time. It gets your muscle for making good choices that are in line with your values gets stronger. 
so that the guilt doesn't bother you anymore. It's just kind of like, oh, there's the guilt again, whatever, you know, move on. Yeah. You know, it's not something that has to be so loud or be some type of moral judgment. Yeah, I love that. And it's even for, it's for all moms. You know, there's this whole theory of like working, working moms versus stay-at-home moms. You know, like I think more than anything now we understand that because we are all at stay-at-home moms now, <laughs> how difficult and challenging it is to be a stay-at-home mom as well. And I have a ton of friends that are stay-at-home moms and some of my closest friends are stay-at-home moms and they can't even run away from the guilt either. Mm-hmm. And for them, it's it's a different guilt, but it's still at the end of the day, the same guilt of like, am I giving enough? Like I could be doing this. I am a stay-at-home mom, so I don't need to ask for help. Right. And that was actually one thing that one of my really good girlfriends, she's completely burnt out, stay-at-home mom, has two kids, but she feels guilty for getting someone to come clean her house. Mm. Something as simple as that. <laughs> and she just can't wrap her head around getting help because she is a stay-at-home mom. And I told her, look, if this is how your, your current state is feeling, then maybe you need that extra help and you shouldn't feel guilty about it. So that that's just an example of, you know, all moms, we're all in this together are, you know, we might not be in the same boat. We are in different situations, whether it's working or stay at home, but we all struggle with, with guilt, right? Right, right. And it's so, it, it is really interesting how it's so universal, how women beat themselves up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if interesting or depressing is the word, but <laughs> right, right. We just need to, we just need to stop and give ourselves a bit more compassion, compassion. to our own self mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. And be okay with, with the decision or our own needs besides everyone else's mm-hmm. needs. And I think okay. one way to kind of think about that too, is think about like, how would you, if you had a friend coming to you and saying these things, how would you talk to your friend? Right. You would tell your friend that she should get help and that it's important for her to have help. Right. So yeah, I, I think that can be a nice way to reframe it. Okay, so one last question to end our call. Mm-hmm. What is one advice that you can tell all parents, specifically moms, what would that be? Uh, so my one piece of advice, I think, would be that the way to be the best mom that you can be is to take care of yourself first. So the better you feel, the better your kids are going to feel. And you and your kids are on the same team. It's not you against them. It's it's the more full and the more alive and the more connected with your values that you feel, the better off your kids, kids are going to be. And I always say that it's a marathon and it's not a race. So we have a long way to go, especially for new moms, right? Mm-hmm. Someone like myself. So we got to do it right in the beginning because <laughs> we have a long ways to go. A lot of us do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Pooja. This was incredibly enlightening for myself personally. And I'm sure a lot of our followers just feel very inspired by hearing kind of your tips and your stories and your advice. Where can they find you if they want to follow you and learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I am over on Instagram at Women's Mental Health Docs. So you guys can definitely follow me there. Um, And I'll be posting information there about Gemma as well and about the classes and things that'll be coming out. So I would love to connect with you there. And Chriselle, this was awesome. I love everything that you're doing and had so much fun chatting. I hope that, you know, parents that are listening in, I hope that after this, they're going to feel better about saying no and, and not feel so guilty about the decisions they're making. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pooja. And we will talk online, I guess. <laughs> we'll connect on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. 
I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. If you liked it, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It really is the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more of us, head over to our Instagram and follow us there at Bumo Parent. And to learn more about Bumo Brain Virtual School, follow us at Bumo Brain or head over to bumobrain.com. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you guys next week.